Are you going through something difficult? Well, do you know what it says here? The Bible or a phone. This too shall pass. Do you know why you need to shower every day? Keep your house clean? Because cleanliness is next to godliness. Let me see here. Yeah, that's in here. Something, something summons 319. You know, God works in mysterious ways, but he'll never give you more than I can handle. You know, you can count on that, because that's right here somewhere in the book. It says, money is the root of all evil. Did you know that? Money is evil, right? You know, God will take care of those who can take care of themselves. That's right here. Don't believe me? Check it out for yourself. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to The Jar. Uh, We're so glad that you chose to hang out with us today. Um, When I was in elementary school, my buddy Kyle and I uh, actually found ourselves in the bathroom just by ourselves. And for some reason, unbeknownst to me, I slugged him in the stomach. And he bent down and he started crying and then I hit him again. And uh, this happened and I knew it was wrong, but I did it anyway. When I was a teenager, uh, some of my buddies got together and we went to an overpass where there was a highway going underneath it. And we took some uh, different vegetables and uh, some fruit and we threw it over the overpass, hitting cars that were going underneath. Now, again, we knew it was against the law and we knew it was wrong, but I did it anyway. When I was in high school... I volunteered for one week at a uh, church camp. And while I was volunteering, there was a girl there uh, who was in college, who was one of the lifeguards, and she was a hate. And uh, so I started, you know, talking to her. And I, before I talked, I was like, she's not really going to be able to connect with the real Chris Bunch. And so I lied And I just said, my name's Ann, and I'm from Australia. Now, if you think that accent is bad, it was even worse then. But she believed me. And she got rid of her boyfriend that was another lifeguard. And she was more interested in me. uh, Not really me, but in Ann, mate. Uh, That's who uh, she was interested in. I knew it was wrong, but I did it anyway. Well, all of those actions are sin, but believe me, folks, I have sinned much worse than that. In fact, I have thought things and said things and done things that would literally shock you. You see, this is the truth about me. I'm a moral fraud. I am a damager causer. I am a wrongdoer. If you were to put my picture in the dictionary, simply put, what you would see is the term sinner. Uh, But guess what? If they put your picture in the dictionary, Guess what you would be, too? Sinner. Yeah. And every single person that's on the stream right now 
don't think you're getting away with it either. You are a sinner. Now, aren't you glad that you came to church today, right? Uh, so you could hear that. Well, today we are uh, concluding a series called I Didn't Say That. And what we've been looking at are different phrases that are in our culture that is attributed to God or people will say it's in the Bible, but actually it's not at all. And so we've gone through three of them so far, and today we're going to look at a fourth. Now, the reason we've been doing this is because if we have wrong kind of descriptions of God, then it affects our faith and we aren't able to be as healthy as we could be. And so today uh, we're going to look at a phrase that uh, many of you may have heard before, but I'm telling you, it's not in the Bible. And uh, the phrase is this. Hate the sin, love the sinner. Uh, how many of you have ever heard that before, that phrase? Hate the sin, love the sinner. Well, like I said, it is not in the Bible. So today, what I want to do is kind of deconstruct those two things that many people were turned to of that phrase, hate the sin, love the sinner. We're going to begin, first of all, with the phrase, hate the sin. Now, the writers of Scripture talk a whole lot about sin and uh, talk about uh, how it can be destructive uh, within each of our lives. Um, but my question for you this morning is, how common is sin? How common is sin? Well, if you would, I'd like you to look to the person beside you real quick. Look at them. Go ahead, look at them. Don't look at me. Look at them. There's a lot of sin in them, okay? Like, they are messed up kind of sin, okay? So there is widespread sin in the person that you're looking at. In fact, Paul, the guy who wrote close to half of the New Testament and is considered uh, one of Jesus' closest friends, said this in Romans. He said this, For all have sinned. How many have sinned? All. That means everyone, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. According to the writers of Scripture, the question becomes then, well, how damaging is sin? Like, how damaging is it? It's very damaging. In fact, Paul says this, for the wages, that is the results, the outcome of sin is death. Now, it doesn't get much worse than that, right? That the result of my sin actually creates death. And then finally, according to Scripture, how seriously should we struggle against sin? How much should we guard ourselves? Should we struggle against it? Well, uh, Jesus' brother James actually tells us what we should do. He says this, Come near to God, and He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart in double-mindedness. Grieve, mourn, wail. Really? Like, we got to do that with our sin? You actually have to grieve it and mourn it and wail? And then he continues on. James says this, Change your laughter into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. 
You see, folks, the Bible takes this word very, very seriously. For each one of us, we need to realize how sin really impacts us, that it really is a pandemic. In fact, uh, in the Bible, there are multiple different descriptions or words that describe sin. Uh, one is called wandering, wandering. Uh, it's this idea that you're on a journey, you're on a path, but as you're on this journey, as you're on this path, you take a wrong turn. And then all of a sudden you get lost and you're like, well, I didn't even plan on getting here. Like, like, why am I here? Well, that's what sin does. Uh, there's another common word uh, that the New Testament kind of uh, looks at sin and it calls it missing the mark. It's kind of like uh, the term is an archery term of a person. We talked about it at Easter where you're looking at a target and the, the archer is ready, but their aim is not very good. And if you're close to the target and the aim is not very good, watch out, right? Because you could get stuck by the arrow. I mean, a misshot arrow, folks, can do damage and We typically don't understand that that's what sin does. What I say, what I do can become something that I never intended for the arrow to go off or me to go that way, but it happened. Another word for sin uh, in the Bible is rebellion. It involves this concept of defiance towards God and defiance against any moral laws. It kind of reminds me of the story of a four-year-old daughter uh, whose mom came up to her and said, you can ride your bike on this particular driveway up and down as much as you can, but you can't go beyond the sidewalk that's at the end of the driveway because you could get hit. And if you do that, I'm going to spank you. And so this uh, four-year-old comes around and is kind of rebellious kind of a strong-willed child. Uh, you don't have to raise your hand, but have any of you raised strong-willed children? Uh, yeah? And she walks around. She actually sticks her bottom out and said, go ahead, spank me now because I got places to go. <laughs> and folks, that's our human heart. That's what happens to us. It is rebellion. Uh, sometimes in Scripture, uh, sin is perceived as swerving. Or going astray. Sometimes sin is lawlessness. Because what we think is right and wrong, they don't apply to me. Uh, not me. And kind of related to this is this word trespass. Uh, you see it often in properties. It says no trespassing. And then uh, what do you find? You find the reason people have to put that up is because people are trespassing. They're going onto their land. Hunters tell me this all the time. It's like they'll have this on their land and people who don't hunt there, they'll just kind of go in and they'll start doing that. And it's the same thing with sin. Uh, Sometimes where it says no trespassing, I know I shouldn't go there. I know I shouldn't be there. And yet I do it anyway. And there are other words that describe sin as well. Words like uh, in the scripture, broken or blemish or crooked or impure or I owe a debt of some kind. You see, folks, 
Sin enslaves. It, dis- it degrades. It deadens. It depresses. It takes away. And we should be aware of what destruction it can do to us. Now, this is a weird thing about sin, though. Especially people in the church will often ask uh, questions like this because they want to know how much can they get away with before it's actually sin. So they'll ask questions like this. How much can there be sin in my life before I really have to start worrying? Um, or people will ask questions of this. They've asked this of me before. Is there a level of sin? Is there like an acceptable kind of level? You can just sin a little bit and it's okay. Uh, is there a limit to impurity? Um, and people think this all the time, but if you think about it, uh, that kind of thinking is kind of like this. How much cancer should I let build up in my body before I actually do something about it? And every single person in here, I guarantee, would say, when it comes to cancer, how much cancer should I allow in my body? You'd say, well, the first cell that comes, you should do something about it. And yet we don't always necessarily see sin that way. We think, well, sin will be something that will I'll be judged by later on in my life, someday later. But sin actually creates destruction right now in the moment and its punishment at its core. Now, um, what sin should we hate? Like, what are the sins that we should actually hate? Well, what people do sometimes is they'll look at a passage in Romans and they'll take that whole phrase, uh, hate sin, love the sinner, and this is where they get it from. It's in Romans and it says this, love must be sincere. Love must be sincere. Now, one thing that I'm realizing in my own life is that I'm not always sincere. And I'm working really, really hard, but I don't always love sincerely all the time. But Scripture says, love must be sincere. And then Paul goes on to say these words. He says, hate, what? Hate evil and cling to what is good. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Now, notice, Paul is not saying that we are supposed to hate the sin in the other person's life, that person over there, that person that we disagree with. He's saying, I should hate my own sin, my coldness, my greed, my selfishness, my arrogance, anything that keeps me from loving sincerely, that's what I need to work on. It's not about pointing the finger at everybody else and their sin, it's about actually looking in the mirror and pointing the finger in my own life, at my own being. Now, let me just say this. This is really hard to do. It is really, really hard to do. It's a lot easier, wouldn't you say, to look at the other person and go, man, they're messed up. Let me, I can tell you 10 of their sins, but it's a lot harder for you and I to actually look at ourselves and to point out the sin that's in our own lives. It's much more difficult for us to do that. I mean, the reality is, folks, when I look at myself, there is enough pride and ego and deceptiveness 
that separates me from God. And so each morning, one of the things that I do is when I wake up, I usually put my glasses underneath my bed uh, the night before. And when I wake up, I get on my knees. And the first thing I do is I ask God, I say, God, Today, I can't do this day on my own. I'll mess it up. I'm going to do it anyways, but I want the best start I can have. So, God, today, I surrender myself, my life, my will, wholly to you. And that's my challenge for each one of you when you wake up tomorrow. That you begin your day by saying, God, I can't do this day on my own. So, I am surrendering my one and only life. And my will, wholly, all of me, to you. Now, that kind of challenge, folks, is one that some of you are going to be like, eh, I ain't going to do that. But I'm telling you that if you'll do this, if you'll actually take moments where you go, God, I need to surrender. God, is there anything in me? Is there any sin In my life, is there something I've done? If you'll convict me of it, I'm willing to do it. I mean, when was the last time that you got so serious with God that you actually took a moment and said, God, I need to do an inventory right now. I need a moral inventory of my life. And you ask this question, this question of asking God, would you show me any attitude or any habit or any words or any deeds I've done where I have sinned? I want to confess. it. In fact, for those of you who are in the auditorium right now, I I would encourage you take out your phone because you do it all the time and take a picture. But take a picture of the screen because tomorrow I would encourage you to begin your day by actually praying this prayer. God, would you show me any attitude or any habit or any words or any deeds that I've done where I've sinned? And then you confess it. And for those of you that are on the stream, what I'd encourage you to do is go ahead and do a screenshot of it and to start praying that. Because this is the problem with many of us. We're carrying sins from a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, decades ago, and we wake up every morning and we're weighed down because we didn't surrender it to God. He says that he is quick to forget and slow to get angry. Confess your sins and I will be faithful to forgive you, he says. And why don't we do that? Well, sometimes it's pride, sometimes it's shame. But the reason why I do it each morning is because I don't want to carry a heavier load than what all the sin is I'm going to commit on this particular day. And so I encourage you to do it. And if you've wronged somebody, if there's someone that you've wronged, go and make it right. If you've done something to injure someone, make it right. If you've said something or thought something, do the right thing. Don't neglect to do this because it can be a game changer and it can bring freedom in your life. Now, the truth is, is that I struggle doing this. Uh, The part of asking other people for forgiveness. 
I don't have a problem saying, God, I'm a screw up. I'm messed up. God, would you forgive me? And I'm like, ah, it's God. He's got to forgive me. But going to somebody else and asking for forgiveness is hard. And sometimes I'll put it off for days or weeks. I've even put it off for months before. And so one of the things that I had to put in my life is a person who holds me accountable that asks me weekly, is there anyone that you've hurt? Is there anyone that you've sinned against? And if so, Chris, it's only going to take a minute or two, maybe at the most 20 minutes, and you'll be done and you'll be set free. And I'm so grateful to have that accountability in my life. Because then I can walk through my day and I'm free. I don't, I don't carry it. My relationships get healthier. Now, I don't do it perfectly, but I'm attempting to try to do this better. So, don't hate the sin of others. Get rid of the sin in your own life. So, hate the sin. The second part of the phrase that, again, is not in Scripture, but... We hear it all the time is love the sinner. Now, that sounds like something that should be biblical, like that's something that Jesus would say, right? Jesus said, love everybody. Now, on the surface, you would think, oh, that's it. But actually, did you realize one of the uh, kind of phrases given to Jesus was a friend of sinners? Uh, that's what he loved to do. He loved to hang out with people who were messed up. Now, the problem was this term, friend of sinners, was an insult. And yet, Jesus walked through his day with like it as a badge of courage, a badge of honor. I mean, in his life, he got in trouble all the time by the religious people of his day because he was constantly hanging out with sinners and helping sinners. In fact, he actually went to a cross and was killed because he loved sinners. But Jesus was always a friend to people that the rest of the world would push aside. In fact, Paul writes these words. He says this, This saying is reliable and deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to, what's the next word? To save, not to condemn, not to put down, but to save sinners. You see, folks, uh, Jesus was a sinner magnet. People who flubbed up and messed up and screwed up in life were just attracted to him. They were drawn to him. In fact, Jesus never said in Scripture, love the sinner. Now, he said, love your neighbor. He said, uh, love one another. But those fra- that phrase, love sinners, is never in Scripture. So, why is that? Why didn't he put it in there? Well, of course, for one thing, um, the reality is when he said, love your neighbor, he meant that to include everybody. Not just the people that live beside you. You know, not just the person who's not mowing their grass right now and they're driving you crazy. Yep. But he says love everybody. Not just those people, but every single person that's in your path. You are to love them. It's whoever you ran into, that was your neighbor, and that would include sinners. But I think the reason why Jesus never put this in Scripture of love the sinner is because he knew what would potentially happen is that his followers would start looking for sinners. 
and would have started like dividing up the world between sinners and then what should we say is the opposite of sinners? Uh, maybe a good, right-thinking people of correct theology and the right political party and the right religion and the right sexuality and the right values or the right whatever, basically people who are just like me. Like the people that are just like me aren't sinners. It's all the rest of you that are not like me. And once you start doing that, this is what happens. You get all puffed up with pride and you begin to say, hey, come look at me. I'm loving some sinners over here. You know, it's interesting to me who Jesus hung out with. And the people that he hung out with were sinners. He hung out with them all the time. But you know what he never said? He never said, I love you, but I hate your sin. Uh, He never said that. He basically was saying regularly that, hey, I love you, and I can point you in the direction of the one who created you. And what Jesus would do is then he would talk about God's grace, God's love, God's acceptance, God's forgiveness. And he would say, hey, I love you. Would you like a second chance? Because I can point you to the one who can give that to you. In fact, about the only time Jesus ever expresses hatred for a sin is the sin of the loveless. The sin of people who had judgmental spirits. When he's hanging out with people who have regarded themselves as the spiritual experts or the spiritual elite. Those people who were spiritually mature. In fact, he tells one of his most famous stories. I'd encourage you to read all of it this week. I'll just talk briefly about it. But it's in Luke chapter 18 verse 9 and it begins by saying this. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. In other words, they were guilty of the greatest sin, and that is of not loving other people. But they did not see themselves as sinners. They thought those people over there are Sinners, the ones that are over there. And then Jesus tells them this story. He kind of draws them in and he says, let me tell you a story. He said one day there was a Pharisee, a religious leader, and he was praying out loud to God. He was the spiritual elite and he loudly thanks God by saying, God, I thank you that I am not like that tax collector over there. Tax collectors are despised. They were crooked IRS agents who would take money for themselves. And he says on the other side, there was this tax collector who quietly, simply prayed, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
and everyone's listening to Jesus, and they're like, yeah, he is the sinner. That tax collectors, we hate tax collectors. We know the Pharisee is the hero of this. And Jesus turns it all around, and he says the person who gave the honest prayer was the tax collector. And you see all of these religious leaders going, say what? Like, seriously, the hero's not one of us? The hero's the guy that's broken and hurting and lost and discouraged. And he is because he's the only one who humbled himself and shared his brokenness and his neediness. You know, one of Jesus' hardest teachings is just two words. Judge not. And I often think that the reason why Jesus taught that is because he knew that religious people would have a hard time not judging others. When I was in uh, my early 20s as a, a young pastor, I kept thinking that what it meant to be a good pastor was you would be morally superior to other people. And so I worked really, really hard to do the things that would make me look better than all the other people in the church. And so I didn't drink alcohol. I didn't smoke. um, I didn't watch R-rated movies. I didn't watch bad television uh, shows on TV. I I didn't cuss. And I had been a cussing sailor before that. And I was like, hey, I'm going to give this up. I'm not even going to cuss. And then on top of that, I started reading the Bible uh, every single day and praying and volunteering. And as all of this was taking place, um, I started getting kind of full of myself. And the evil one started tempting me with questions like this. Why can't your neighbors be more like you? I mean, why can't your neighbors, the people in this town... Why can't they be as moral as me? Why can't they have the values that I have? Why can't they be as holy as I am? But the truth is, as I went on this self-righteous binge for a couple of years, what really happened is that I started to have a huge judgmental spirit towards every single neighbor, and I was not loving them. I would walk by them. I would not engage with them because they were less than me. And as I would drive by, I didn't do it uh, with pen and paper, but in my mind, I would go through almost like a report card of how moral I was compared to that person, and I would give myself an A. And this hypocritical, judgmental root started to spring up in my heart towards the people who were not like me. But it's a dangerous prayer, folks. So if you do it tomorrow, I just want you to know he's probably going to tell you. It's a dangerous prayer to go to God and say, God, is there anything in my life that is unpleasing to you because there's a lot 
in my life. And God started to reveal that to me in my early 20s. And I was challenged. Rather than looking at the sin in my neighbors and those around, I had enough to look at just in the mirror. I didn't have to look at somebody else. I just had to look in the mirror. You see, it's so easy, it's so terribly easy for people like me to look at the sin of other people and ignore that that's in my own life. It's so incredibly easy for me to damage other folks and not even recognize it. I mean, this is how messed up I am sometimes. I can end up not loving other people, and I don't even realize that I'm not being loving. And I'm just telling you, don't do that. Let's humble ourselves. Let's give second chances, and let's always love. So, here's your big question for today. How much sin... Do you think there is in East Central Indiana? (laughs) There's like a ton, right? I mean, we got a sin palooza going on, right? You thought COVID was bad. I mean, East Central Indiana has so much more. Muncie? Are you kidding me? Yorktown? Ah! Selma? Oh my gosh, those people are messed up. I mean, Delaware County, what we have going on, folks, is a sin palooza going on. It's a pandemic. And what about the counties around us? Henry County, guaranteed. Jay County, absolutely. Blackford County, Grant County, Randolph County. Yes, yes, yes. Sin palooza. Arrogance, greed, drug abuse, misuse of power, envy, promiscuity, godlessness. Wow! Like it is messed up, people. Now, let me ask you another question right now. How much sin is in this church? Woo! Like it is a lot. And do you know why I know this? Because I keep data of it. You pay me to do that. And some of you, woo! It's a sin palooza going on here. What about in this heart of this guy standing on the stage right now? How much sin's there? Oh man, we don't even have enough time, do we? I mean, there's all kinds of stuff in me sometimes that is ugly and just not godly whatsoever. And the reality is, folks, Jesus could just spend all of his time working on me and all of my past transgressions and what I'll do today and what I'll do in the future. And he'll have decades and decades of work just to focus in on me. So this is what I just want to encourage you today. Let's love. Let's choose to love. Let's hate the sin that is in us because it keeps us from being the people God intended us to be. 
And what happens is when we don't do that, we mess up the world around us. Instead, folks, let's be world experts. World experts. Everyone in the jar. Not for pointing the finger at the sins of the world and those people over there and that person there. But let's be world-leading experts of bringing our sin to God at the foot of the cross. And to say, I need you. So, I'm going to give you a practical application right now in this moment to do that. I'm going to give you a moment to confess the sin that you know. Maybe it happened this morning on your drive here and you were mean and nasty to the people in your car. Or maybe it's something else that you're not sure of. You don't have to do it out loud. You don't have to come up front. But just in your seat where you're at that you would quietly place your sin before God at the foot of the cross. And for those of you that are on the stream right now, I encourage you, wherever you're at, take a moment and just close your eyes, quiet yourself, and just ask that question, God, is there an attitude, is there a behavior, is there uh, you know, a habit in my life that is not honoring you, and you'd confess it. So we're going to bring the lights down for a moment. And for you to just have a moment between you and God to ask him, Lord, what is the sin in my life that is not honoring you? And then we'll give you a moment just quietly to bring that to God. So take a moment to do that right now.
Thank you so much for your amazing grace that came to rescue every single one of us. God, nothing is more powerful than your grace in our life. And so, God, I pray right now that you would help each person here to accept it and receive it. That regardless of what it is that they've confessed to you, whatever sin that you have kind of made them aware of, that they would know, God, that they are forgiven. 
and that they have new life and that you're calling them to something that's better, something that will not create pain for them. And God, would you help us, rather than looking and comparing the sins of other people around us, help us to look in the mirror in those places where we ourselves have sinned. Help us, God, to receive your love, to receive your grace, and to pass that on to those around. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would come and you would do a work in people's life that tomorrow when they wake up, it wouldn't just be kind of a message that they listen to, but it would be a message that changed their life. That every morning they wake up, rather than carrying the weight of sin on their shoulders, they wake up confessing so that there would be freedom for them. Now I realize that right now for some of you, you're like, well, I just feel so condemned in my life right now. I just can't imagine that he would forgive me. And scripture is very clear. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That he comes to forgive and to love. That's the whole purpose of why he came. And so right now, if if you want to make a commitment to Christ for the first time, or you're recommitting yourself, maybe you drifted away, the pandemic kind of drifted you away from God, but today you're like, God, I need you in my life. I need your love. I need your grace. I need a brand new start. He's willing to give that to you. And for a way for us to put an exclamation mark on that is to have a prayer. But you don't pray this prayer alone but we pray it all together in unity. And so I'm going to invite you right now just to close your eyes and uh, to repeat this prayer after me, but you don't pray it alone. Repeat after me. Heavenly Father, forgive me of all my sins. Make me brand new. I believe you died and rose again so I could live for you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.